0: This is Shutterzink with Bruce Williams. Hi and welcome to episode 491 of Shutterzink. This is Bruce Williams from ShuddersInkPodcast.com and joining me from Allenstown, Pennsylvania, it is Mr.
1: Joe Edelman. Joe, welcome back. 491? Why is it... I think this is only the third time that I have <laughs> been on Shutterzink. What's up with that?
0: That is a, a case of criminal negligence on my part, man
1: i i don't know i i have a feeling your partner in crime you know was trying to suppress my my voice here more so than likely just because he's not here i do get to take shots at him right that's right that's
0: okay absolutely
1: okay good all right uh how have you been i'd be good i'd be good you know hey it's a pandemic so what can we say yeah. right but uh hanging in there um staying out of more trouble than i normally would because it's harder to find trouble that's but, you know yes
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, it has been one crazy, crazy year, has it not?
1: For sure. Uh, how are how are you guys doing with it down under? Oh, is it fairly look being managed or I, is it kind would, of out of control?
0: I would say that for populated countries, I think Australia has to be pretty close to the top of the list for the way we've handled it. You know? The, That's awesome. I think awesome. the number hear
1: about Zealand a lot in the news here we don't hear australia mentioned too oh that's much, interesting
0: because uh, they've done very yeah, well Zealand- as well they've managed to keep it under yeah, control yeah. really well uh, the, but the i think i think for the entirety of the year i think australia's only had about a thousand deaths if that um oh my i goodness. don't think we've had massive numbers at all you know i mean victoria yeah. had a second wave where Uh, the whole state went into lockdown for months on end and people were not allowed to leave their houses unless they had a good reason and if they did they could only go within a 5 kilometer range and all that sort of stuff so you know we've been you know our governments have come under criticism for being too heavy handed but when I Mm -hmm. look look at our figures against you know say the US figures I kind of think well I'd I'd rather a slightly (laughs) heavy handed government that actually keeps us alive, yep. <laughs> the yep. one that tries to just yep. sweep it um. under the carpet and pretend it's not a problem. Yeah, <laughs> so.
1: it, it's uh, it's getting pretty rough here. Well, I mean, yeah. Europe is also going through a lot yeah. of the same issues yeah. in various places, but um, and right now, of course, we're kind of in this crazy limbo where you know we're really not getting any great direction at this point. You know, yeah. the new administration there. Mm-hmm. They're talking a lot, they're encouraging people, but obviously we still have the old administration that's basically saying, yeah, there's no pandemic, everything's fine. So, <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it's like we kind of live in two you know, two different worlds all in the same place. It's, yeah. it's, it's been yeah. an interesting year this year. Oh, yeah. yeah.
0: So, photographically, what have you been up to this year?
1: Oh, well, let's see. Uh, prior to this year, I was doing a ton of traveling right. for Olympus and some of my other sponsors teaching and that kind of stuff. Uh, I came into this year with what would have been uh, literally my busiest year probably in the last 20 years. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, my, my year was booked solid. Um, the beginning of the year, I was doing um, a nationwide tour for Olympus, introducing the new OMD EM E-M1 Mark III camera. Yeah. And the last trip I made was down to Florida uh, in the first week of March. And, uh, came home a couple days later, we went into lockdown and within three weeks, my entire schedule for the year was just wiped out. Everything had canceled well in advance. Um, a few of the events went, uh, went virtual, but, um, you know, I've always kind of been somewhat of an entrepreneurial spirit. So I figured, all right, you need to pivot quickly. And uh, (laughs) some photographers pivoted by, you know, kind of moving into like product photography and that because fortunately people were still producing catalogs and online stores. And I really didn't feel like kind of going back into that area. I'd done that years and years and years ago. So I thought, all right, I'm doing teaching. I'm enjoying the teaching. So I need to learn how to do it online. And I took a couple days and Did the whole pros and cons thing, like, okay, what are all the things that I like about online teaching and what are all the things that I hate? And that, of course, was the longer list. (laughs) Um, I'm a bit of a marketing nerd, so i had done a lot of marketing webinars where you sit there and the instructor's staring down at a laptop screen with really bad lighting and a blurry image. And they're like, okay, let me me share my screen with you. Uh, (laughs) Oh, wait, that's the wrong button. Hold on a second. Hold on. I knew I had that slide deck here. Just a second. You know, they're just painful. (laughs) So at that point, I did a ton of research to figure out what's it going to take. How can I make a presentation that is as close to doing it in person as possible without really being there? And that's what I did. And now I've got uh, 18 different presentations that I do. And the cool part, Bruce, is I'm doing the presentations all over the world because we can do that virtually. Yeah. So it's like if it's an English-speaking country, I can do a presentation there. So I also started reaching out to camera clubs and photo organizations all over the place. And, in fact, Down Under is next on my list. I just got my hands on a database of some uh, camera clubs and organizations down there. So I'm going to start emailing. And say, hey, uh, if you need a speaker that doesn't talk like you? I'm your guy. Like, you know, so, <laughs> nice. um, yeah. So hopefully, I'll, I'll get to start doing some for you know for groups groups down there. But that's pretty much been it. I, I've been you know teaching nonstop. I run a I have a mentoring program, so I've got a group of photographers that uh, I work with you know on a regular basis that I mentor yeah. and. Um, I force myself to shoot, even though I can't really go. And, and right now, especially, we're, we're not entirely in a lockdown, but we're kind of in a pseudo lockdown in Pennsylvania. So right. um, walking into a small studio space with a makeup artist and a model is just not a practical thing right now. Yeah. So, you know, I, I force myself to... So even if that studio balls, space whatever, is like your him. home? Well, I mean, I could do it. Let's put it this way. I could do it without getting into any legal trouble. Uh, The problem is, given that you know, I do have a studio that is in the basement of my home, and it's a very nice studio. It's not massive in size, yeah. So that means bringing two people into my home who I haven't had. You know, I have no sense of where they've been or who they've been with. I have a wife who's immunocompromised, so it's like, yeah, it's just not, yeah, you know, not the best plan. So as much as it's frustrating, I mean, and I get myself in trouble for this statement here uh, because not everybody sees it that way, and I understand, but. I kind of look at it from the standpoint of photography is not essential right now Yep. in, in terms of, yeah, I desperately want to shoot. It's, it's who I am. It's what I am. But I'd actually also much rather live to be able to go back to normal when this is all done. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, to me, it's like, yeah, I can. I've been very fortunate. I found another way to produce income and, you know, I'll ride it out
0: yeah wow. and do you
1: still have the uh
0: space that you
1: opened up the last
0: time we were talking about you or talking to I you? i was opening
1: up oh, that's right yeah so i talked to you guys right before i opened the new studio i know because of the pandemic i let it go yeah um, right literally my lease was coming up for renewal in june oh. and by june it was pretty obvious this yep. was going to carry into 2021 yep um and even that of course that's a that's a sliding scale as to when in 2021 <laughs> yeah. we're not going to have to worry about things. So as painful as it was, yeah, I let it go. The good part is that the building that I was in is, was an old, literally an old cigar factory that they turned into uh, a group of artist lofts. Right. They almost always have open space in there. So once things get completely back to normal, yep. I'm sure I'll have no problem finding a space back there if, if, I, you know, if I decide to go that route.
0: Yeah, right. nice. Nice. We'll see. Wow. Okay, so earlier this week, I saw you post Mm -hmm. something, I think it was on the Facebook uh, group, about the fact that, you know, you you were asking what's your file management protocols because you, Joe Edelman, could put your fingers Uh on a photograph from anywhere in the last 20 years within a couple of minutes if you needed to. And... Yep. I, I sort of sat there, you know, playing with my beard, going, yes, and nodding ferociously, going, yep, I'm like that. I can find <laughs> any photograph from the last 20 years without a problem. Uh-huh. And I thought, right, w- we should have a yarn because I was interested to know what, what gives you that confidence that you can find those images uh, and, and what is your methodology?
1: Well, so the the background, just to give you a real quick background, obviously in all of my travels and teaching and meeting people, I could tell you horror story after horror story (laughs) of meeting photographers who, uh, literally, this this happened to me in February this year. I watched a photographer take a lens out of his camera bag, but as he opened up the camera bag, there was a Ziploc bag, a fairly decent sized Ziploc bag, that looked like it had sd cards in it and i mean a lot of sd cards and i was just standing there having a conversation with him and the guy's like let me grab this lens he bends down and i see this bag i'm like are those sd cards he's like yeah i'm like what do you do with that many sd cards he's like that's everything i've shot in the last six years i'm like in your camera bag on sd cards are you (laughs) kidding me and the guy's like well i don't want to get rid of them because i'm afraid if my other hard drive dies and I'm like, so you carry them in your camera bag? Like, really? And, and, you know, so I've got a lot of stories like that. And that's what kind of led me to say, you know, right, look, I, I, need to, I need to make people understand, number one, that, that it is important that you stay organized. And, and number two, that it's, it's actually not that hard. The downside to all of it, of course, is it requires a little bit of discipline and it does require some work. So um, I'll go ahead and I'll be I'll be like geeky for just a second. Sure. The two most commonly used filing systems by photographers who actually have a functional filing system. Okay, meaning they can find the images they need when they need them. Mm-hmm. The two most common kind. The first one will be called a flat, non-hierarchical system. Basically, what that means is keywords and metadata. Yep. Right. But instead of just randomly saying, oh, it's a picture of a flower and giving it a keyword of a flower, what they have done is they have taken the time to, um, and think of it like an Excel spreadsheet. They've taken the time to essentially establish uh, categories of keywords and even some predefined keywords within those categories. And the goal is every image that they put into their filing system they are going to assign it one of the items from each of the different columns. So if you imagine a spreadsheet, your first column might simply be the date that the picture was taken or better yet, actually the year. And then the second column, the date, um, the third column, if you're kind of a, actually, let's say you're an Eagle photographer, you shoot Eagles. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the third column would be Eagles, but there's like, 60 or 70 different species of eagles. (laughs) So you would have all of those species in there. And then from that column, you might have a column that is uh, simply two entries, protected or not protected. Then you would have a column potentially that describes what's the eagles doing, what's its activity in that picture. So it might be, you know, eagle sitting, eagle flying, eagle eating, you know, eagle in a nest. Uh, Then you would also potentially have a column that um, represents um, areas or regions of the world. So if you've traveled enough, you know, maybe uh, you've got uh, North America or you break it down to even the United States and Canada, and then maybe you have Asia and maybe you have Australia, Africa, so on. And then if even if you know United States is included, well, certainly within the United States, there's 50 states. Yep. So you might have those. So you would have all these different columns. And the way the system works best is anytime you're doing Um, cataloging, as they refer to it, with keywords and metadata. The key to it is two important things. One, multiple keywords and multiple pieces of metadata. And the other thing is it's got to be good keywords (laughs) and good metadata, not just random stuff, right? So a photographer that's doing that type of a, a filing system properly is actually essentially going to have a spreadsheet. They may even have it like printed and sitting on the wall near their computer so that every time they're going through in their cataloging images, they're looking at the columns in the spreadsheet and saying, okay, it's going to be that one, this one, this one. you know. And that way, they're making sure that they're using the same keywords and the same metadata over and over and over again. And then when you search, just like when you do it in, in Google, if you type in one word, you generally don't get great results back because you're going to get an incredibly broad range of results. You type in multiple words... Or better yet, you yeah. learn a little bit about Boolean operators and you use the pluses and the ands and yeah. you get even better results. Yet, okay? So that's, that's option one. That's called a, a flat, non-hierarchical system. A hierarchical system, and this is what I... And by the way, that, that type of, of system is really good for photographers that are kind of generalists or that specialize maybe like in wildlife or landscape or things like that. The system I use is a hierarchical system. Yep. Uh, it's basically folder-based. My kind of system is great for portrait photographers, wedding photographers, uh, commercial advertising photographers, even like a, like a real estate photographer. So in my system, if I go on to my main network hard drive, my storage drive, um, I'm a Mac user, so I would open up you know, um, Mac Finder. And the first thing I'm going to see is literally just two folders when I access that drive. One is called images, the other is called video. So if I clicked into the images folder, I'm then going to have some subfolders. One is models, the other is actors, the other one is clients, that would be commercial clients, another one is personal, and I've got about six folders at that second level. So let's say I'm looking for a picture of a model that I took 15 years ago. So that model is going to email me or she's going to call me and say, hey, remember that picture that we did? Um, and it was for my portfolio shoot and it was, you know, I was in the pair of jeans and I had a white tank top on and I was kind of jumping. Okay. I'm like, okay, cool. So then I'm going to, after I've clicked on the model folder, I'm going to find her last name because I'm going to have a folder that's her last name slash first name. Mm -hmm. I'm going to click on that. And then inside that I've got the raw images from her shoot in a folder. And then I also have the finished process files, the ones that I did retouching on in a second folder. And all I have to do, if it's an image that I had provided her with before, is click on the folder with the finished images, because that means I worked on it already, and I'll be able to find that image easily. If it's an image that she happens to know we took it that day, but but we never actually processed it, well, then I'm just going to go into the folder with the unprocessed images from that day and find it. So literally, if one of my clients calls me, I can in less than three minutes, I can find any image that I've done and I've been shooting digital since 2000 so 20 years Yep. so it sounds really simple but it does take discipline because the minute you cut corners on either one of those systems (laughs) that's when everything falls apart
0: yeah mine is actually a hybrid of both of those approaches where I have one physical 4 terabyte hard drive inside my computer that is entirely dedicated to photos there's nothing else on that drive and so within the root directory of the drive, there's a folder called photos. And then inside that, I have oh. folders for the the type of shoots. So a family photos, a personal project, a commercial shoots, uh, sure. you know, all that sort of stuff. But then within mm-hmm. those folders, there is essentially a... a a folder structure that is identical across all of them, which is year and then year, month, day. Right. Uh, And so all of of my shoots get copied from the memory card to the relevant folder according to what the the shoot was. Yep. But then they all get imported into Darktable and I then use hierarchical keywords and... I'm assuming Lightroom mm-hmm. does something similar. If, it, if you start typing yes. in a keyword that you have used at some point in the past, then as the characters match, so the list of keywords gets narrowed down. Uh, and so I can start typing mm-hmm. in a keyword knowing that I've already created it uh, and it you know the the list will progressively narrow down as I enter more characters, and when right. I see the keyword that I want, yep. I can just click on it and go attach that to you know this one image or this bunch of images that i 've got selected sure. yeah so that's that's yep. kind of my approach and as you say it it does require discipline and and I think the biggest Absolutely. the biggest hurdle is starting if you 've never done it before. You know, I remember sure. I remember getting to a point where I had maybe 6000 digital images and thinking, "Yep. Oh my god, I've got to go and tag all of these th- files. You know, this is just going to be painful." But I recognized yep. at that point in time the longer I wait, the worse this is going to be. So I just had to get in and get it done.
1: And uh, Absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of the big mistakes people make is they Become aware of the need, but yet then they continue to procrastinate.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and yeah. So I I just sort of got in, and you know it took me a, a few weeks, but I crawled through those six thousand odd images and got everything tagged. Yep, uh, and then that's awesome. You know, once once you've got over that initial hurdle, it's then just a mm-hmm. case of being you know disciplined enough to do it every time you come home with new images you know and if you've only got to do 50 images at a time it's not so
1: bad exactly right (laughs) well one of the things that i suggest to people too when they they take that presentation that you're talking about the one that i do on file management is if they're in a situation like you or yourself if they're sitting there with six thousand and Frequently I talk to people that have many, many more images and oh, they're in all kinds of crazy folders. And indeed, they're one of these folks that they they just can't find their pictures. What I recommend they do is is really kind of sit back and take a good look in the mirror, so to speak. <laughs> and what I mean by that is those six thousand images that are there, first question is to ask yourself, how often do you actually access those six thousand images? Yep. And try to imagine down the road, how often do you think you will need to access them? Yeah. If it's a situation where, especially if you're learning you know, in your photography path at this point, and you haven't really gotten to the point where you're really cranking out the kind of stuff you want to, and you're still just shooting and learning, et cetera, sometimes it just makes more sense to create one folder that's called old. And you take everything <laughs> that you've done up to that date, and you stick it in the old folder. Because it's stuff that, realistically, as you move forward, you certainly don't want to get rid of it and just delete it. But you know that you're also not going to access it very often, if at all, realistically. Yeah. So that that is also an option. I find that a lot of times when I get talking about the file stuff, people are like, "Oh, that'll take me forever." And then, well, all right, so let's relax a second. How often do you actually, you know, go back through these old files? I'm like, well, hardly ever. I'm like, then I have a better solution. Make a folder (laughs) called old, stick them in there. But as you move forward, if you don't maintain a discipline, then you're going to have a second folder called old number two pretty soon. So, (laughs) you know, you you just, you have to mean, have to maintain the discipline. Yeah. I'd
0: like to break into the podcast briefly to mention that we now have a Patreon account. If you get any value at all from our photographic giggle fest each week, we'd really appreciate it if you could spare a couple of bucks a month just to help keep the servers running. The link will be in the show notes. Much appreciated. Now, back to the podcast. Yeah, I've been thinking to myself, I really need to put the time aside to actually go back through my collection, which is now probably, you know, somewhere around twenty or 30,000 images, and just go through and mark everything that is absolute crap that I'm never ever ever going to go back to uh, as right. as rejects and either delete them or archive them in some way so that you know I don't need to be yeah. concerned by them. You know,
1: but it's again, I mean, that's that's very helpful. I mean, <laughs> similarly, I have a set of folders that are essentially my portfolio, so to speak. Yep. And so, you know, if I do if I were to do a shoot tomorrow and out comes an image that all, oh my God, I'm thrilled with this. You know, it's going to go on social media, et cetera. I would take a copy of the actual uh, Photoshop file, the PSD file, and I would put a copy of that in this portfolio folder. Yeah. Um, and the original PSD file is still going to stay with my normal file structure and everything. What's nice about doing that. The images that I would use to market myself, the images that I use to represent myself, I've always got them as portfolio folder, and they're very easy to access. Two years down the road, if I'm going through that folder and I'm looking at that image and thinking, well, yeah, I get it. I liked it then, but ultimately, it's not that good. I can simply just delete that PSD file at that point because I know that I still have it in the folder from the shoot. So if for some reason, you know, eight months down the road, that that subject would contact me and say, hey, I need that picture. I I still have it in my normal file structure. So yeah, every now and then it it will save you a lot of time. And that's really going to be dependent upon how often do you actually access your pictures. I honestly was surprised when I was preparing that presentation. I made it a point to talk to a lot of people in my Facebook group. And I was really surprised at actually how infrequently many people look back through their pictures. Um, yeah. You know, they, they certainly don't want to lose them, but they also acknowledge it's like, yeah, you know, once I've kind of made my picks and done with them what I'm going to do done with them, I never go back. I'm like, okay, well then, yeah, that that idea of having an old folder, that would yeah. actually not necessarily be a bad idea.
0: So. Yeah, yeah. And backups, what's your philosophy on backups?
1: Do you have so a backup I, Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I mean, I, the, well, the three key elements in in this whole file management thing are obviously, you know, the the structure of your file management system. That's what we've been talking about with the non hierarchical or hierarchical. But then it comes into um, storage and backups. So for me, um, I use two different backup scenarios depending on where the files are. So my workflow: I'm a Mac user. Right. Mac, of course, has iCloud, which is like Apple's version of Dropbox or Google Drive. Yeah. So if I were to do a shoot tomorrow, I would transfer my images to my iMac in a folder that's simply called current work. And that way they are automatically getting backed up to iCloud. So I don't actually worry about making another backup immediately. But at the end of the day, I have a network drive that's attached to that computer. And I have a little um, program, automated program that will run and it will back up those folders as well. So by the end of the shoot day, I have, the, copy on, the original copy on the hard drive, I have a copy in iCloud, and then I have a copy on my network server. Um, the network server also backs up to, um, I use Backblaze, their cloud services. So uh, yep. It backs up to Backblaze cloud services. So that's my stuff that's kind of in progress. My storage, I use a Synology RAID drive. Right. It's a fairly big one. It's a 64-terabyte system because I also have a lot of video, which takes up a lot of space. That basically is configured in what is referred to as RAID 6, which means I basically got two drive redundancy. So it's got eight hard drives in the unit. I could have two of those hard drives fail right now and still maintain everything that I have in that unit. Nice. So... um, But the only, in in terms of my library of of work, that's the only copy that I keep here in my home, in my office. And then the second copy is in the Backblaze cloud. Uh, If you talk to like a hardcore tech computer person, they will very likely, uh, especially if they've been around for a while in, in computers, they will very likely tell you, no, 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 you should be doing a three, two, one scenario where you have three copies of the file in your location, um, two copies backed up, and then you know, another copy up in the cloud. To me, that is very excessive. And what gets lost in that equation a lot is the understanding of when that standard was developed. That standard or the three two one literally was developed back in the days of tape drives on computers. <laughs> right. They didn't have the cloud thing, right? You know, that's that's when that was back when photographers, digital photographers, did their backups by burning pictures to a CD-ROM and going to the bank and putting (laughs) the CD-ROMs in a safe deposit. That's what we did here in the States, right? Uh, And then, of course, the problem was you didn't make it to the bank that week, and well, then you've got a stack of CD-ROMs sitting in your office, which (laughs) that backup's not doing you much good. No, that's right. So, yeah, to me, everything is so automated at this point. Uh, it's awesome to have it, you know, go right up to the cloud and. I, you know, I know that those services like, you know, so it could be Backblaze, you know, if you don't have as much data, it could certainly be, uh, you know, Google Drive or Apple iCloud. But uh, once you get over like two terabytes in that, the price actually gets a little bit hefty for those services. Yeah, uh, Backblaze Cloud is, uh, if you've got a lot of data, is definitely a great solution and it's very affordable. And they've got multiple data centers, so as soon as my data is hitting. Their data centers. It's also being copied, redistributed. So if they have a data center go down, they're going to have multiple copies of it, et cetera. Um, and they also have the storage space that they're, you know, building in redundancy. That if I delete a file, you know, I've got thirty days. I can still go back and retrieve that file. And, and then right. if I want to spend a little bit more money, I could, I could go for a full year and still retrieve a deleted file. Wow. So. It doesn't. To me, it doesn't make sense to have extra hard drives sitting, you know, in a room in my my office, making the office warmer <laughs> and and all that kind of stuff when I can load it up because they get they put out heat.
0: Yeah, well, if they're spinning all the time, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and that's also one of the things about the, the the network drive is the network drive it spins down when it's not in use. And then, you know, like right now, my network drive, it's, it's not spinning. If I were to go access a file, it would take literally about 12 seconds for the drive to spin up to the point where I get any files that I need. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, my God, it takes forever. It's not a big deal. And
0: is that located inside your house?
1: Yes, that is located inside yeah. my house. It's actually in my office, um, but it's, it's set up on my home network. So I access it via Ethernet cable on my main machine. But then I have the ability to access it wirelessly via my laptop. Oh, and nice. for that matter, I can access it from my phone. So, yeah, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, corporate. cool. And the RAID drives, I can't speak for every company, but I can speak specifically for companies like Synology and even um, like G-Drive technology. RAID drive technology has gotten to the point where it's super, super simple to set it up. The many years, I used RoboDrives, Right. Which every now and then you find somebody that loves Drobo and continues to love Drobo. But uh, Drobo, unfortunately, has a lot of inherent problems. And, you know, if you're on the unfortunate end, you wind up with a bad Drobo. It can be really challenging because when Drobo stores your files, it's kind of creating a wrapper for the files. Meaning if you pull those hard drives out, you can't go put them in a PC or a Mac they can only go in another Drobo if you want to be able to get your files off of the hard drives. So, but I liked the Drobos 10 years ago because RAIDs were kind of advanced and I didn't understand it. So, you know, the Drobo, you take it out of the box, you plug it in, you're good to go. It was, you know, super simple. Yeah. Well, that's pretty much how RAID drives are now. You can get your RAID drives pre-configured and you set them up. And even the one that I have is Synology, because it's a bigger unit. It wasn't pre-configured, But I had reached out to the company literally with that concern. And it wasn't even about, Hey, I'm an influencer. What can you do for me? It was literally like, Hey, I want to get a Ray drive, but I'm scared to death. (laughs) And, uh, I just, you know, had called their tech support and the tech support guy sent me a PDF, which was like four pages and had nice big pictures and simple sentences <laughs> and i was like okay i can handle this so i ordered my synology drive and it took me about 30 minutes to set it up and configure it the way that i wanted and it just works it's great nice it's, you know, it's been flawless because i've had so yeah I, i've been very happy with it and i went with one that's that large because my I am one of those photographers that through digital photography, you know, there were times where I had 14, 15, 20, like, you know, plug in USB hard drives sitting in my office for backups. Right. So I decided if I'm going to go with this network drive concept, I'm going to get a drive big enough that it's going to outlast me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that was the goal. I, I don't want to have to upgrade again. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's got plenty of storage on it. I'm assuming that you shoot raw. I do. Yeah, absolutely
0: yeah, yeah right that certainly makes for the necessity for large hard drives
1: uh well it does and even i mean you know being a micro four third shooter that's certainly cut down on my file sizes compared to you know back in my nikon days but um yeah i do a lot of compositing work in that so it's not uncommon even with my micro four thirds files that i've got psd files that have 20, 30 layers in them by the time I'm done. Wow. Um, which, of course, you know, pushes the file size up. So, so yeah, I mean, that, that can happen. And then with video, you know, that's a whole different monster. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> and even even from a, a filing standpoint, um, video requires a lot more maintenance because programs like Final Cut or um, Adobe Premiere, they create a lot of backup files and render files automatically. Yeah. So if you don't, you know, once you've kind of finished a product, if you don't clean out those unneeded files, you'll ace a hard drive in like days. (laughs) Um, So there's a little bit more maintenance to the file aspects of, you know, working with those. And part of the way that I manage that, network drives are not good for video editing uh, because of the access time through Ethernet cables. They're not fast enough. So I do have two. G drives that are attached to uh, my computer that are just for video purposes. And what's great about that is if the G drive is getting full, I know, oh, okay, it's time to go through, clean out the render files and the backup files and then move some of the projects off. So it, it, that way it kind of triggers for me. It's like, hey, you need to do this. Yeah, right. And just makes it a lot easier.
0: Yeah, nice. All right, Joe. Well... That's, a, a, I think, a, a, a thorough covering of metadata and tagging and management and
1: <laughs> all that sort of stuff. Yeah, hope, I mean, hopefully that helps folks. Otherwise, I've just completely scared them away and they're going to go buy a lot of Ziploc bags. So, one of, one of the two. <laughs> yeah. I,
0: that, that, just, that story actually just scares the hell out of me because I, I remember hearing oh, the story yeah. of someone who had shot a wedding and had taken their camera gear back to their car locked their camera gear Mm -hmm. in the boot of their car or what you what Americans would call the trunk and they had gone to dinner and before Mm -hmm. they've got home their car got broken into and you know their camera gear got stolen and they had not had an opportunity to back up the the photos that they'd shot that day you know and you can't yeah, you can't really lay too much blame at the feet of the photographer in a circumstance like that. I mean, you know, there's a reasonable expectation that, I, hey, I'm going to get home at the end of the day and I'm going right. to back up all of this stuff. But, sure. you know, to lose right. that stuff, you know, before you've even had a chance to back it up. So the idea of carting around yep. six years worth of <laughs> images.
1: <Yeah>. Oh, <laughs> man. Uh, it's... Uh... Oh. It, it's scary and you know I, I find it's it's kind of one of those unfortunate things right it, it's it is possible to be too neurotic but sure. if you're smart you're at least going to be a little neurotic yes. I mean it just means like <laughs> you know even like with a wedding photographer we could raise all kind of arguments well he could have taken the SD cards out of his cameras and put them in his pocket when he went to dinner yes. he could have taken five minutes of, I mean there's so obviously there's all those options you certainly never expect somebody's going to break into your car and yeah so that's the challenge i mean ultimately yeah when it's important you know because that that same wedding photographer and i don't know i don't want to know this person's name because i'm not trying to insult anybody but that same wedding photographer is probably a photographer who would also spout those famous words I would never buy a camera with only one card slot because I want the backup. <laughs> so, you know, but if you leave both disks in the camera, that backup's not doing you much good, right? That's true. So, That's true. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how it is down there, but here in the states, if somebody releases a camera with you know just one card slot, it's a piece of trash. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how. I don't know how photography survived until now. That's it. With. <laughs> You know, one roll of film, one one sheet of film, or (laughs) one disc in the camera. Like, how did we ever get the job done? It's amazing that we have pictures from just 15 years ago, (laughs) and they still exist. It's amazing. (laughs) There you go. It really is. But to listen to people today, it's like, oh, my God. Yeah. 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 Well, mate, thank you for joining us. You're very welcome. Um, So hopefully uh, hopefully it wasn't that bad, and you'll have me back. I mean, I hope everything goes well for... For Flint, but uh if you need me, I'm here. You let me know.
0: Excellent mate. Well I at, at this point I would imagine we will be talking again next week if that's all right with you. Sounds good. Awesome. Absolutely.
1: I'll look forward to it. <laughs> awesome. All right, mate, we'll talk to you then. Alright, Bruce. Take care now. Inc
0: another audio to
1: you.com quality podcast.
0: For questions, comments and feedback, email theboys at shuttersinpodcast.com.